Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. Well, I am glad um, for all of you returning this week after um, listening to the fascinating conversation with Aaron and the less than tolerant uh, chatting of Jason. Um, that's fair. That's fair. That's I know fair. it is. That's why I, I, I mentioned it that way. Um, we are um, on a um, trip where we have, in effect, we're, we are in the realm of RPGs, but we are not neck deep in them right now. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. We are talking mm-hmm. to people that have RPG experience, but because we have folks that have such back fascinating backgrounds like mm-hmm. Ron and James mm-hmm. and, you know, Shamani and mm-hmm. um, you two, um, you and Aaron, mm-hmm. um, we're going to see that. We're going to see that theme continue because we are just, we are so lucky that uh, because we've got 50 episodes down, people think we're legit. Little and know. yeah, and and actually right. are agreeing to join us. Yeah, and you know, and we've we've been saying to a lot of people, and we've been talking about this amongst the two of us that that Dyson Mind, it's it's always been intended to explore you know issues that are RPG, but also RPG adjacent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there mm-hmm. are. I mean, we've talked about obviously we we our politics aren't part of this, but we've we've broached it a little bit with. And unfortunately, there are issues that shouldn't be political that are. Yep, exactly. Um, and so we've we've talked about them outside the context of politics, but within mm-hmm. the context of uh, just being good citizens of the mm-hmm. world, and also um, acknowledging wherever our guests want to go. Yeah, we, we're we are we're not going to shut them down. That's not an apology. We think that's a good interview, right? We, I, and, we want. And I to like talk. to th- I like to think you know back in the day, and this will date me. I never watched a ton of it, but. Uh, Tom Snyder used to have a very late night talk show. That that and, does date you. Yeah, I know. I yeah. it was early night. It, he did it for years, but it kind of wrapped up in the early to mid nineties. And he would have a guest on, and when they talk, when they interview, Tom would feed kind of a question and then let that mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. expand on it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we try to do here. I and, and and not because of Tom. It's just I I saw a cut. And it reminded me of our show. Interesting, nice. And so, you know, I am I am personally fascinated by those who um, can do writing and yeah. you know filming or all of know, these write. creatives. It kind of blows the mind. Yeah, and I always, you know, you know, I just you and I were just talking beforehand, and I said to you. You know, for all the jokes that all of us take amongst our little group, when it comes right down to it, we're both multifaceted, Um, Mm -hmm. but we're talking to people that are also multifaceted, but in a creative realm that I'm especially not. You touch a little more because you do a lot of writing and such, but. But but that um, this stuff is different. I mean, and they're making livings out of it. Yes. And you Uh heard people talking about, we go back to to James and Ron and, and James, both James D'Amato mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. Sutter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You hear them talking about, they were looking for things that where they could find, I'm not quoting them, but in effect, yeah. they talk about inner peace and they found yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Yep. You know, so yep. I'm not trying to sound like we, Jason, and I joke about this. I'm not trying to sound, sell a uh, 
best help for business book because you hear that nope. term inner peace a lot. That's, yeah. that's no, but, 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 you know, like from day one with this podcast, Brad, we've wanted to, and we've been talking about real life through the lens of RPGs, vice versa, all of that good stuff. And, and part and parcel to that goal has always been, you know, where, where does this fall in terms of being meaningful? for the individual, whether it's personally or socially or intellectually, or I mean, whatever. And, you know, so we can geek out about mechanics, we can geek out about world building, because we really enjoy it. It's fun and meaningful. It's sustaining to us. And that's what people keep telling us as they open up that, that they are engaged in these activities that seem to often blur the lines between what's work and what's play, you know, like, like, I don't, I might be misremembering, but I don't think it was that long ago that, that, you know, that my wife asked me like, well, what, why are, why are you, why are you working on that? It's the weekend or why are you working on that? It's the break. And I'm like, you know, babe, this is, this is what I do. Why would I, why would I want to do it if I wasn't enjoying it? And, and let me ask, you're talking about, you're, you're not even talking about RPGs as much as you're talking about yeah, right. some of your writing endeavors and all that. And that's something. Or research, and, yeah. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not trying to turn this into a, a admiration society, but that has always been something from my end, looking towards your end, that I have been, um, envious isn't the word, it, mm-hmm. it's just more, I admire the fact that you can do that. And I am, and I didn't know if that was in me to do it. Even when I studied music um, as a potential career, it wasn't there. What I'm finding now is us doing this show. Right. And our research, which is reading Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and reading RPG books and then reading books like, like Beth Ball's books, Keith Amon's books, um, some of the other novels that we've talked about with some of the folks on the show. I don't mean to not call everyone out. Um, it's a long list now. It is. Yeah. Um, it is. It is fascinating. And the one thing, well, I don't want to um, jump too far into the GM corner because we're not there yet. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. But um, I was looking through because we did some, you know, this, we did some remodeling. So I was reorganizing my RPG library. I sent you a picture of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I definitely needed more room, more bookshelf room. Yep. Um, my wife tells me I'm desperately needing to get rid of books, which is fair. Um, no, it's not, but go on. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe RPG books is what she's asking. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just, no, 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 no. She's asking. Don't, um, I won't tell her if you don't. Okay. That's good. But you know, I've been, I've been just because of the people we've been talking to lately, uh-huh. I've kind of been looking in the pathfinder realm just to learn. Yeah. And yeah. one thing that, um, even you, you will hear it today with our guests. Yes is when they game and even James said this too it's almost like a homebrew in some way they 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 really feel their creative juices when they are a little less um crunchy uh-huh. and that's because they enjoy it that way some right. people like it very crunchy yep yep so for me reading these and listening to these people talk i don't know about you i think we've talked about this listening to them talk makes me think okay i can see this helping me when i'm gaming oh yeah i can also see this help when i'm doing my own writing you and i have talked about doing some recreational writing um even music 
And for those that are watching, and then I'm going to stop because I've dominated this. Because no, I'm, no, not at all. You know, um, even those that play, and there are some of you who are really into it and can really um, turn it into a drama experience. They have you're expressive that way. You're you have that ability, and you can bring that to the table. Then there are others who um, aren't that way. They're a little more reserved. Um, they don't quite know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I am. And Jason jokes. I mean, when I try to go into character, everyone sounds Irish. Um, you know, it, it, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for growth. I'm proud of you that there is an accent. Yeah, that's that, you know, and I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to bring it up here because then it's, we're going to get flagged as explicit because I am making fun of, of certain um areas of the areas of the world but yep yep for me i am finding that us talking to these people oh my and god yes. the information that comes out of it you and i always come out of these interviews just sometimes we just have to say we'll talk about this tomorrow we need yeah. to process it yeah well and okay so so by way of transition then we had the good fortune good fortune to interview tim pratt who's written more than 20 novels and, and, and he, but he cut his teeth on poetry and short stories as, as everyone will hear in a moment. And so I think it was the, I think it was the day after the, the interview, which was just, just days ago, but right after the interview, I think I texted you and I, wasn't I like, you know, maybe we ought to look at writing some short stories. Yes. And, and it's like, okay, I got to just, I just got to stop, but it's exactly what you're talking about because we meet these people and it's like, oh, you just get going. Well, and I think, I think I see it with you a little bit. Cause you, you heard it last week. Um, when you, when, when I, when we had Aaron on and I, in effect, interviewed you both, um, you know, you're doing this creative writing. You can hear the passion. You know, I already know that passion from you. And I think people can hear it when we, when we, do these these podcasts you hear it from aaron at mm-hmm. the same time um i see it you know i see it with everyone we've talked to going back to episode one or the first interview we had with with shelly mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um there is a passion for the writing and i find it fascinating and you and i doing some we've talked about doing some yeah creative writing within the rpg realms and yep. short story stuff. still the plan still the plan oh yeah yeah yep. this is june was always a busy month for us um mm. even into july your summers because you you only have a li- very limited amount of time so you got to enjoy it um but there's just i mean the creative juices just yeah flow from this and i will grab a book of some sort and i think i even tweeted last week about um i'm finally caught up now so um, I have a couple books by Keith Amon that I need to read. Um, I have the couple books yeah. from Beth Ball I need to read. I just started yeah. reading Beth. I have, and it is no, it is not a disrespect or anything that I just hadn't mm. gotten to him. I just haven't had time because of, no. I haven't had time for any rec reading. No, this, I mean, let's face it on top of work and family or family and work, the podcast is keeping us busy. And I love it. I do too. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. I love it. Okay, shall we shall we wander over and share our interview with Tim Pratt? I think you guys are going to enjoy this. We certainly did. What a neat guy. Yes. 
Tim Pratt is a Hugo Award-winning sci-fi and fantasy author and has been a finalist for World Fantasy, Philip K. Dick, Sturgeon, Stoker, Mythopaic, and Nebula Awards, among others. He is the author of more than 30 books, most recently Multiverse Adventures, Doors of Sleep, and Prison of Sleep. His stories have appeared at Tor.com, Lightspeed, Clark's World, Asimov's, and other nice places. He's a senior editor and occasional book reviewer at Locus, the magazine of the science fiction and fantasy field. Since 2013, he's published a new story every month on his Patreon page, and he tweets incessantly. He lives in Berkeley, California with his wife and kid. In my in my search online, I think I have found one of the more prolific writers um, that I've had the and Jason and I've had the opportunity to connect with. Um, so Tim Pratt is joining us. Tim, thanks for uh, taking the time today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So if you don't mind, kind of talk through. Um, you know, obviously, if, if people go to your website, if they go to your Wikipedia page. Um, they are going to see um, a large number of novels and books. You have been nominated and have awards, um, you know, going back to 2002. Um, so how did you end up getting into writing? Um, it was the cheapest artistic endeavor that I could pursue as a child. Uh, I was interested in oil painting. I was interested in playing electric guitar. Right. But I lived in rural North Carolina. You know, I grew up um, like when my family was at its most stable. I lived in a trailer, you know, yeah. uh, there were times that it was not that stable. And so I was interested in lots of different artistic endeavors, but I could write with a ballpoint pen and a spiral bound notebook. So that's what I did. And um, then my parents got me a manual typewriter when I was probably like nine or 10 years old. Yep. And uh then when I was in high school and I wanted to start submitting stories, they got me an electric typewriter with the mm -hmm. autocorrect ribbon. Mm -hmm. with the correct mm -hmm. ribbon. I remember. And I was, I was typing up manuscripts and sending them off, you know, blindly to weird tales or whatever. When I was 16, no idea what I was doing, you know? Wow. And uh, yeah, I've just, I've always loved books. You know, my parents were big readers. My, my grandmother was a huge science fiction fan. She kind of got me into science fiction. So that was naturally the sort of stories that I started to write and started to tell and I've just, I've just been doing it. You know, I, I am not an overnight success. I've been pecking away since I was eight years old, pretty steadily. Yeah. But, but you've been submitting stories since you were 16. Yeah. And I didn't sell any until I was like 20. But, well, which kind of beats me to where I wanted to go with that. I mean, that Tim takes guts. Uh, I mean, I, man. So I started out with the arrogance of being a teenager, right? Like right. I was, a, I was a genius, right? Why, how did these people not, not see that I was just going to transform the, the genre, right? How dare they send me form rejection letters? Um, yes. Actually, I got a, I got a couple of nice rejection letters from weird tales back when I was a teenager that I wow. found pretty encouraging. They explained everything that I'd done wrong in a sort of patient, we can tell you're a kid way. Right. Right. Um, but they did not dismiss me. They did not tell me to, you know, go take a flying leap at the moon. Mm -hmm. So that was, mm -hmm. So did they feel like they gave you in any form um, feedback or anything on the articles or was it just kind of a kind? You, you, know, you mean like guidance? Yeah. Thank you. But uh, no, thank it you. It wasn't. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I got, they didn't, it wasn't worthy really of that kind of guidance. It was just sort of like, Hey, this sure. isn't right, but you know, keep at it, you know, and uh, maybe next time 
send a self-addressed stamped envelope. Like, I think my mom mailed out my first one and I didn't even know, like, I didn't know what to do at all. Right. I found right. the address in Weird Tales. I just sent them a letter and they very kindly spent their own postage to reject me. And told me, by the way, in the future, you should send an SASE. Now, of course, it's all it's all online. So yeah. today's new writers will not have to suffer exactly the same indignities that I did. <laughs> I'm, I th- I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that our listenership is doesn't necessarily encompass Gen Z. So um, I appreciate <laughs> yeah, no. you mentioning yeah. self-addressed on the envelope because they'd probably yes. question what an envelope is. Let alone I, I'm actually still rather amused by the typewriter because Tim, you're just about, I mean, you're our age or you're, I think you're within a couple of years of us. And um, I remember the mechanical. I remember my first electric. I remember taking it to college. It was, a. I mean, times have changed when it comes to writing this stuff. Really we had a Smith time. Corona with the white, white white ribbon too. So, oh yeah, yeah, fond fond but difficult memories of trying to write a paper or write in your case writing a story, line yeah. by line. Oh you man, know. revision was rough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you sold your first story at twenty? Um, I, you know, the the years kind of blend together. Mm-hmm. The first story, short. I sold some poetry in like 97, 98, mm-hmm. I'm a poet too. Um, and was a very serious poet in my twenties. I huh. really focused on that a lot. And then I realized, oh, you can make zero money from poetry and you can right. make a, you can make grocery money from fiction. Um, and grocery money was something that I needed. But yeah, my, my first story, I had actually sold a little horror story to a magazine in like 98 and then, you know, just a tiny little horror zine and it went out of business before they could publish my story. Oh, wow. <laughs> So that was my that was my first sale. And then I sold one to this. There was this guy, Dave Feltz, who was an editor in North Carolina, where I'm from. And he did this little zine called Maelstrom SF. And I sent him a story and it came out in 1999, um, which was the year I graduated college. So actually, I was like 22, Mm -hmm. I guess. And Mm -hmm. uh, same year that I went to Clarion, 99. Wow. Wow. I, so now you also obviously and this is I, I think, you know, Brad, correct me if I'm wrong. This is sort of what brought you to our attention, our curiosity, some of your writing obviously intersects with RPG land. Yep. Yeah. So how did that come about? Was that just more yeah. of the, of the nerdery of childhood or was it an opportunity? So I was, I was a gamer um, starting in late middle school, early high school. I started to play in some D and D games with some friends. I quickly realized that what I liked doing was, was homebrew and I mm-hmm. wanted to run games. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's a lot of the same creative impulse that now goes into writing novels. And I say that's why I don't run D&D games now, because the same part of my brain that is creating books that's writing novels is the part of my brain that I would use to run games. But I had I had a great love for, for that kind of work. And the first RPG-related thing that I, that I did really was a Forgotten Realms novel called Venom in Veins. And uh, it was completely just, I'd heard that they were looking for, to bring in some new fantasy writers. I'd sold a couple things at that point. I asked my agent to put me in touch. <clears throat> I talked to the editor, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this guy Fleetwood Robbins, Tom Robbins' son, actually, the novelist Tom Robbins. Uh, Fleetwood was a super cool guy and he brought me on board and I pitched him my idea, um, which was about the, the Wan-Ti, the, the snake people. 
um, which I had played because I like to play evil characters when I was in high school and I'd played one. And I'd been thinking a lot about how uncomfortable I was with the notion that an entire species was just evil, right? Yeah. I'm like, a lot of this is cultural. And so I was like, I kind of like, and it's not like that hasn't been explored, right? Dritz Jordan was, you know, this stuff has been looked at, but I was interested in it too. And Fleetwood was like, yeah, totally. That sounds great. So I wrote this book, Venom in Her Veins. And based on that, I ended up getting some other work like Pathfinder Tales. Um, wow. I did a bunch of books for Pathfinder Tales. And I did, um, and now I'm doing stuff, not an RPG, but I've done this Twilight Imperium novels, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. the, the strategy game space operas, which is, I had a book come out this week, the last one in that trilogy. Jeez, congratulations. Didn't realize yeah. it was that soon. Wow. Came out on Tuesday. Well, the ebook came out, the print book, because the supply chain is a nightmare right, right now. Right. The print book will be along later, but yeah. yeah. I, you know, I just want to reflect on this for a sec. So this notion that monsters are people too, right? Air quotes. Mm -hmm. You were way ahead of the curve on that if you were i mean no seriously if you were making that argument i mean you you look at what what you know wizards and paizo are doing now and others around that notion and recognizing that maybe that's not the best message right mm -hmm. um but it's the old message from 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 the lore um that you you submitted something that was making that argument i mean way in advance of anyone Big, like any of these companies really saying, oops, we can do better than this. I mean, that that's intriguing to me. That wasn't even on the radar for these companies. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was something that I had always thought about. And there are some like, and I have some pretty evil creatures in that book, but yeah. they're ones where the gods sort of have a thumb on the scale, right? Like if there's a deity who's messing with you, uh -huh. you know, and deliberately driving you mad and like whipping you into frenzy, but even mm -hmm. so there's going to be individual outliers. And for me, the, you know, the snake folk, it was all about, they had a culture. And so it was about a character who was, who appeared human, like 99% human, which sometimes happens, right? Mm -hmm. Like tiny little bits of, of serpent folk uh, physiology. And so she was raised as a human. And because of that, she had okay. no idea. And right. she's actually oh. raised essentially by a drug cartel. So one can argue that her family is is pretty evil really right and she has to reckon with that as the as the course of the book goes on she has to deal with her biological heritage when she meets more snake people and then she has to you know reckon with the realization that her own family is kind of exploiting people and becoming wealthy off of spreading right. misery right. Uh, it was a super fun book and i got to research archery a lot because the character's an archer so that was neat <laughs> did you try did you try shooting oh my dad's a bow hunter okay um, a deer hunter so uh, he would never let me touch his good bow, of course, but I have, I have fired uh, assorted bows and I just did a lot of reading and actually there's a great um, KJ Parker novel called The Belly of the Bow that's about an archer and, uh, and I think Tom Holt is KJ Parker's, uh, is a pseudonym for Tom Holt. I think he like actually went and like made bows and stuff because he's that kind of fantasy writer, right? Like uh, yeah. the kind of person who if he's writing about swords wants to learn how to forge them. I'm happy to just read about it. Um, <laughs> Do you you mentioned that you're tired of or or it's just I mean I get it if you're being so creative when you're writing trying to be creative as you're game mastering or DMing yeah. has to be difficult. Do you still play? Truthfully, it's more that I would have as much fun, and so why would I write all the novels? And then how does my rent yeah pay? yeah how does, my, how does my child's savings account get a, get <laughs> his, a his college fund get filled up right? Um, so I'm working on that. I, I have not played in a while. Like we'll do the occasional one shot. I have run some little games for my kid. Um, oh. You know, occasionally like a friend who I used to play with will be in town and we'll put together like a little like one day thing. Um, and sometimes there are so many fun 
and I'm not going to be able to remember the names of any of them, but there are so many fun, like little experimental systems and like, oh. like sit down with like one sheet RPG sort of things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And as my, as my, my kid who's uh, 14 now was starting to get into this stuff years ago, we would occasionally do these little one shots and stuff. So I, you know, I keep a hand in, but just barely. Yeah. Do you, what, what's your go-to? Uh, as a system? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, you know, I was playing, uh, D&D in uh, 1992, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Pathfinder is a pretty elegant system. Um, truly, I tend to be very low mechanics when I play, right? So we'll do kind of simple D20 based stuff. And, you know, I'll make my, you know, kid or whoever I'm playing with do some skill checks. But I, it's at this point, it's not nothing resembling an organized system. It really is just kind of a structure to do improvisational storytelling together. Nice. Cool. Nice. From a, you had mentioned too, from a, from a writing perspective, you kind of gravitated towards sci-fi just because your grandmother and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Have you, and do you still write poetry? Because you had mentioned poetry too. Every once in a while, uh, I did it, as I said, very seriously. I was a creative writing major in college and uh, the fiction professors at my university were not particularly sympathetic to science fiction and fantasy. So right. my honors, senior honors thesis was a poetry collection. And I sold a bunch of poetry, um, in the 90s and in the in the 2000s i have slowed down a lot and when i write it now it tends to be more for my own pleasure um and to work stuff out i haven't like really seriously tried to sell poetry in years Um, (laughs) one of my first books was a poetry collection i had a book uh, a poem that i wrote at this point probably coming up on 10 years ago maybe longer there was a Valentine's Day poem that I wrote for my wife, Heather, called Scientific Romance. And it got weirdly popular. Um, oh, you hooked I me. Had, yeah, I had, uh, I had, I had put, I just posted on my website. And then um, it was, Stevie Lee was the editor of Escape Pod, the great science fiction podcast. And he was like, oh, I love your poem. Do you mind if we tack it onto one of our episodes, like as a little coda? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And then like, people just loved it and wow. I started hearing from people that they were reading it at weddings so like geeky weddings and I mean it's been read at this point at scores of weddings you know like I'll sometimes they'll write me and sometimes like I'll just get like a little ping back on my on my web page or sometimes I'll even like somebody will be like hey look somebody at their wedding website mentioned that they read your poem right it's cool um yeah I have a friend who I who I met um who before she met me uh had like just earlier months before we met had been at a wedding where she read my poem <laughs> because wow. it was nerd, you know it's nerds <laughs> <laughs> see we married too yeah <laughs> i mean i wrote it down i'm going and you have it on your website right just for right. Folks yeah scientific to... romance if you look it up it's pretty easy to find yeah. um to, uh, to back up for just a second just before we lose this um mm-hmm. you made a comment that i think is really interesting about sci-fi Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you were in college, you said you graduated in 99. Yeah. Right. And 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 Brad and I more or less class in 96. Yeah. Um, and you you more me less. Yeah. But but either way, it sets <laughs> yeah. the context. Yeah. Um, and so like we've both me. Well, me more so than you, Brad, because you, you've always been much more into fantasy than I ever have been, uh, though I'm maybe not catching up, but I'm getting there, but I've always been ever since I was little into sci-fi. And I think like back to the nineties and even then, I mean, sci-fi still didn't seem like it was really acknowledged as legit literature. I suppose you could, you could even say, look, there are still too many who are making that argument today, but at the same time, it seems to me that there is more and better 
sci-fi than certainly I've seen since I was a kid. I mean, there are lots of, I mean, look at what you're doing, right? I, what, what's your take as an active author in sci-fi and fantasy of how this has changed? We're in a golden age now and it's fantastic, uh, specifically oh. in science fiction. One of the big cultural shifts in the science fiction field has been toward uh, allowing more voices in yeah. uh, who are yeah. not you know, speaking as a white guy who are not white yep. guys like yep. me, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at the awards ballots in recent years, the Hugos, the Nebulas, the stuff that's getting nominated and the stuff that's winning is fantastic. And it is from people who would have uh, certainly had a harder, have had a harder time breaking in back in the 90s, right? I yeah. mean, it really was, and it's not like it's, it's perfect now, it's just better. But like genuinely, I knew people back then who were writing who were, you know, black science fiction writers and they were genuinely getting responses like, oh, well, we had a black book already this year right wow. like yeah. or like oh we just don't know if we can find an audience for this or oh we don't know if we're the right people to publish this and again publishing still has problems in this area but it is it is trending in a positive direction it's so much yeah. better than it's been and it's yeah. just great books i've i read for um for a few years i was on uh award juries and i was reading for the bradbury prize for two years which is mm -hmm. the la time book award and it's everything it's science fiction fantasy and horror anything speculative yeah. We read great science fiction there. And then I was on the Philip K. Dick Award jury a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. which is just science fiction. Right. Uh, however you choose to define that, right? Mm -hmm. you can, mm -hmm. The jury gets to decide. But I was just, it was super hard to pick five books or six books. It was wow. incredibly difficult because the quality was just extraordinary. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great it's a great time to be writing science fiction. It's a great time to be reading it. It's a harder time to be writing it. I think it's harder to break imagine. in now than it was when I was new. I think some of the first stories that I sold in the current environment probably they're not good enough. You know, wow. I feel like the I feel like the just the floor has risen, mm -hmm. um, and the and the the to get in, I think you have to be really good because there's just so much really good stuff now. How many projects would you are you are you you know do you have potentially going at once? Um, I am a pretty simple-minded person. I'm usually writing one book at a time. Um, mm -hmm. I will, over the course of writing a novel, write a bunch of short stories usually. Partly okay. because I do, well, I do a Patreon uh, where I write a new story every month, and I've been doing that mm -hmm. since 2013. Wow, and that was partly geez. a way to, to get myself back into writing short fiction, which is what I love and what I'm best at. But I was doing novels, and I wasn't writing short stories. So I started the Patreon, both to get some extra money, but also... Uh, as a way to center short fiction again in my life. That's where, how I made my name was writing short stories. Like right. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good novelist. Um, I'm a better short story writer than I am a novelist. But anyway, so I do that every month and I get invited to anthologies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, when writing a novel, it's a, it's a long thing. And when you're in the middle of it, it can feel like the end is just never going to come. And then you can write a short story and have a little burst of oh, I got something finished, right? Like a yeah. little bit of validation. Oh, I can still get to, I can still write the end on something, right? So the short stories are a nice little palate cleanser and a way to keep me going and feel like I'm not just slogging toward a distant and unseen destination. So, you know, in a large sense, I have one big project going at a time and then I have, you know, a story or two, uh, depending on what kind of obligations I have every month. I'm just, I'm intrigued. I, I, I don't know why this, like strikes me as, oh, it's never been done because obviously it's being done. But I'm intrigued by the notion of leveraging a platform like Patreon as a writer. 
Again, yeah. I, I know that's a thing, but like, what's been your experience like? I mean, that's, again, going back to like the 90s, the aughts, that didn't exist. So I'm going to give you a long answer to a simple question. Yeah, please. Um, so I was back in, in the 90s, I was into like DIY zine stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. I was making yep. chapbooks and I was like, you know, in, in the old school, like tape stuff, photocopy it. You know, I do desktop publishing now for a day job um, mm-hmm. or as part of my day job. But back then, like I was doing it the old school way. Yeah. So I've always had a streak of that. So self-publishing stuff, crowdfunding stuff has always been elements of what I'm doing. I am what is now known as a hybrid author because I do traditional publishing and independent self-publishing. Oh, back when I started doing that, there wasn't a name for that. Right. I was just mm-hmm. doing stuff. And uh, so I was, you know, I was serializing novels um, and then Kickstarter came along. I started doing Kickstarters. Uh, and so the Patreon was kind of a natural thing when I was like, I want to do a story every month. I already have a bunch of people who've over the years indicated that they would give money to me for publishing projects for Kickstarters and stuff. Potentially I can get some of them. And what I told myself was if I could make as much a month as I would make selling the story to a small press magazine, then it was worth doing. Right. Yeah. And uh, now I generally, you know, it's, it's pretty good now. Uh, there are writers who do much better than me, but it's enough as much as I would make selling it to a professional magazine. So that's great. Um, and the other nice thing is I write them and then I can sell them as reprints. You know, I can send them yeah. off to other magazines yeah. and yeah. kind of get beyond just talking, talk, preaching to my choir. But it's great mm-hmm. because I have this enthusiasm. You know, it's a couple hundred people who support the Patreon, but they love what I do and they let me experiment with things. Right, I don't have to really worry. Is this going to be commercially viable? Will an mm-hmm. editor try this? Mm-hmm. I can be experimental and ambitious. Mm-hmm. And I also use the Patreon as a test kitchen for novels. Like if I have a, yeah. a character that I like, I'll write a couple stories about them. And if their voice is, because it's really important for me in a novel to have a character that I want to hang out with, right? Not necessarily that they're a nice, great person. They can be complicated. They can be flawed. But that I enjoy as a writer spending time with them if I'm going to spend 300 pages, 400 pages with them. So it's a couple of my novels, um, Doors of Sleep, Prison of Sleep. And I have one that uh, is coming out late next year called Conquest of Night Space. Those all grew out of characters that I played with first in my Patreon. Man, the landscape has changed. Because we've heard... We've heard similar things, and we've certainly read similar things in terms of, you know, RPGs and just the yeah. the, the freedom and the opportunity that's out there, and and finding an audience who likes it and gets it and will support it without being shackled by, you know, big business. But of course, without some of the affordances that come with that. Well, the thing used to be you there was self publishing, you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. but you had to drive around with a bunch of copies of your book in the trunk of your car. It was yeah. really expensive to get the books printed. Print on demand right. came along, and once POD came along, you could do short runs. Mm-hmm. They were still still pricey to set it up, and you know you would drive around and you would sell them in parking lots, or you would go to conventions or whatever and try to sell things. Now everybody has access to the same digital sales platforms that the major publishers do, right? right. Like you can right. get on Amazon. Whether anybody knows about the books, you don't have the you know probably you don't have the publicity, the marketing budget. You can put it out there and if nobody knows about it, they won't buy it. For me, part of why the Patreon worked mm-hmm. is because I, I already had a crowd. Like I always say that I, right. I couldn't have done Kickstarter if Random House hadn't you know, bought my first five novels right. and sent tens of thousands of them out into the world and built me that audience, a fraction mm-hmm. of whom then followed me, mm-hmm. right? Uh, nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd, as the, the old song says. 
So, I mean, the hybrid though, like that you said, that that truly applies though, doesn't it? I mean, you're really cross-fertilizing, taking advantage of that. Well, it's super fun because sometimes I'll have a project that's kind of weird, but I really want to do it. I don't know how commercial it's going to be. I actually started doing um, the self-publishing stuff because I did, Random House did publish those, those first novels of mine. I had four books in a urban fantasy series, the Marlon Mason series. And then my editor got laid off. There was this huge bloodbath in publishing. Mm -hmm. Tons of people just got fired. Um, I think it was back in like 2008. And my editor was one of the people who went. And I got, you know, for my last book, I was assigned another editor who finished the book. Very nice to me, but I wasn't her author. She wasn't going to continue the series. My contract had ended with book four, right? Mm -hmm. But I'd been told (laughs) before my editor got laid off, oh yeah, we'll do some more, right? So I ended book four, not on like a brutal cliffhanger, but like with a clear setup for what was going to happen, like for the next problem. Mm -hmm. And then I started to get, very annoyed letters from people because I hadn't finished it. So I was like, okay, well, I will write another book where I will address that dangling thread. And I just serialized it on my website. I had like a PayPal button if you wanted to tip me, right? Cool. And I just put it up like a chapter a month or whatever, chapter a week. I can't remember how I did it. Yeah. It was so long ago now. Um, and that was a book called um, Broken Mirrors. And that got a really good response. Didn't pay me as much as Random House paid me, but it paid me enough to be worth my time. Yeah. And so then I did another one in the series and then Kickstarter was around. I was like, I'll see if I can get paid in advance before I even write the book. Um, and I mean, the yeah. ones, and I ended up, I finished the series, it's a 10 book series. And I finished it on Kickstarter. And I had a small press who did print editions too for people who wanted print copies. But yeah, I just made the eBooks. And, and after that, there were a few other little things that I did. Um, story collections, I've tended to self-publish. Because almost always, if you sell a short story collection in the genre, it's going to be to a small press publisher. And I've done that, and it's great. But they pay you a few hundred to a couple grand. That's what they can afford to pay you. And I realized that I could get paid more if I did it crowdfunding. Um, And so my last uh, few collections have been been crowdfunded. That's that's such a... I mean, that's such a neat addition to you know, the modern sci-fi zeitgeist, just being able mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. find content that necessarily, uh, yeah. you know, obviously there's a finite number of major publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, you're involved in those. Plus you can also publish elsewhere too. So you, again, using the word prolific, um, you know, mm-hmm. I know you're laughing, but I just, you know, you look at your, you look at your bibliography and everything like that. There's the a lot to of- have, The key is to have no other hobbies. That's the secret. <laughs> My God, still how what, how what long? What are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm 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 gonna write. Gonna write, yeah. <laughs> gonna write some. How um how maybe this is a dumb question, but what's your turnaround time like? How especially given you focus on approximately a book at a time, a big project at a time. Yeah. How long does it take you to get a book out? Um, it can vary a lot. I have written books because of lots of things going wrong. I have written novels in six weeks. I like to have six months. Um, books written in six weeks are very messy when they get turned in. <laughs> they end up taking a lot more time to like revise and clean them up. If I can have six months, I can take my time. Um, I have said yes to deadlines that were like four or five months away, which again, this is when something's gone wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is when something in a schedule has shifted or whatever. Um, but honestly, at this point, I have a reputation for being able to deliver to deliver solid work um, on a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. So when other authors drop out or like yeah. something happens, publishers, I'm one of the people that they go to, right? Which is mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. It means that I get offered work sometimes. 
which is cool. But yeah, the thing is I do, I do a lot of thinking before I start writing. Generally, by the time I sit down and start writing, I know the structure, I know the shape of the book. And in revision, like stuff may have to change, like stuff will have to be added. I'll have to tweak things, but I usually don't have to rip out the subfloor and rebuild it. So that, that, that envisioning process, that conceptualization early on. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, I've been thinking about this book, Conquest of Nice Space, which I have not even started drafting yet. It's due in March. So I'm starting this month (laughs) on it. I have been thinking about it for five years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, um, so you had mentioned too, you have, you're, you have a day job. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, based off of obviously if people go and read, you're a senior editor at Locus, yep. right? Um, how does that, and maybe it doesn't at all, how does that affect uh, your writing, just doing that as, as a day gig? And then, like you said, kind of saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write tonight or I'm going to write this weekend. Yeah, Locus has truthfully been great. Uh, if you're going to be a writer in the science fiction field and you need a day job, as I did, you can hardly do worse. Um, I started there 21 years ago. I had sold a couple of small press stories, but I hadn't sold anything professionally yet when I started working there. Um, and I was literally, I drove our founder, the late Charles Brown, around to run errands. I cleaned the gutters, right? Like it was a while before I was allowed to touch words. Um, and obviously 21 years, I've touched a lot of words there since then, but uh, it gave me a ton of connections. I got to meet lots of people in the field. You know, I met my, my agent, Ginger Clark. I met her through Locus, met tons of other writers. I met tons of editors. So that was helpful. Just, um, I'm not a big believer in like going out and networking and glad handing, but I'm yeah. a big believer in making friends, you know? Um, and then when somebody has a project in mind, they probably think of their friends first, right? So that's worked out well for me. Being in a position to, to meet people um, and have a chance to make connections with them has been great. In terms of mechanics and craft, I was initially worried when I started doing a lot of the news writing. I write the news, I edit interviews, every once in a while I conduct an interview. Usually I'm just turning the transcript into something more readable um, than just, because it's conversation, it's audio, it's like this. And then if this had to be turned into print, we would have to take out some of the ums and we would have to, you know, some of my trailed off sentence fragments, you would want to stitch back to when I remember what I was talking about and pick up that thread again, 10 minutes later, right? You want to connect those. So I do stuff like that. It ended up being great because I learned to write the deadline. I learned to produce clean copy really quickly. I learned concision. it's been fantastic. You know, my fear was that I would use up all of my writing energy at Lucas and then I would not have any writing energy left to write fiction. Turns out totally different parts of my brain. Sitting down, writing news, stuff like that. I can then turn around and write yeah. fiction and it's like it's drawing from two completely separate wells. You know, writing news is about analysis and observation and research and writing fiction is about making stuff up from inside my head and creating emotional responses in the reader. It's such totally different tool sets that I find that one does not exhaust the other. Also at Locus for many years now, I started there full time. As my writing career got more serious, I transitioned to working four days a week at Locus. So I have a day off every week. Nice. So, so perfect world. Mm-hmm. All my all my deadlines are carefully arranged and I'm being diligent and I didn't blow a working day playing Elden Ring or whatever. Um, I don't have to work nights and I don't have to work weekends. In nice. reality, as deadlines approach, you know, I just spent the last three weekends working because, mm-hmm. you know, I had some travel, I'd had some stuff that I wanted to do. And so I wasn't diligently working, you know, yeah, six yeah. hours on my day off. But uh, but it's been, I mean, that's been great. And it's been like that for 
I don't even know how long, over a decade now. I've been doing four days at the magazine, day to write, ideally evenings and weekends, hang out with my kids, my family, my friends. How, how did you end up, is it because of work or anything, where you moved across country? Um, literally yeah. almost from one end to the, from, is, from North Carolina out to Berkeley or Santa Cruz and then Berkeley. It's true. I was about five miles short of driving from coast to coast because I started in the mountains of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. and I drove to Santa Cruz. Uh, really, I was I graduated college in the mountains of North Carolina. I went to Appalachian State University, which is yeah. great. Uh, beautiful, beautiful place, Boone, great town. Um, and I then got a job doing working as an ad copywriter for a big box hardware store in their in-house creative department. The money was good. It was not particularly stimulating. Yeah. You know, and I yep. kind of looked at myself after six months and I was like, I do not want to be an advertising copywriter for the rest of my life. My thought had been, I'll have this job, right? And then I'll write on the side. But for whatever reason, like it just really bummed me out to be an, an ad ad writer. Um, I was okay at it, but I just I just didn't like it, honestly, just for whatever reason. Um, it was a great opportunity. <laughs> it was just not the right op opportunity for me, yeah. but it did allow me to save up a bunch of money. And I had this friend who was in Santa Cruz who was in grad school doing astronomy. And I was sort of complaining to him on the phone or whatever. And he was like, well, you know, I need, I'm uh, moving into, I got my move to a new place next semester and I'm going to need a housemate. Why don't you just come out, like come to California, spend a year, nice. right? Get your head together, figure out what you want to do. And I had never been farther West than Missouri at that point. So I was like, sure, I'll do it. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, put in my notice at work and settled my affairs and got in my old 97 Nissan Sentra and drove from Boone, North Carolina to Santa Cruz, California over about four days. Wow. Um, 12 hour days listening to Stephen King audiobooks, on <laughs> you know, uh, as I drove. Uh, originally, it, this is some, some sort of a tangent, but I was supposed to go on this like long, leisurely two week thing with my girlfriend, right? Um, and then we were going to do a long distance relationship thing. But uh literally the day before i left her grandmother died and oh. so she could not leave town i no longer had a house to live in because my lease was up i had to go yeah. so rather than taking two weeks and looking at the grand canyon by myself i was like Bleh. i just i just booked it i just went across in, in four days and ended up in santa cruz and loved santa cruz you know got a job like doing office admin stuff mm -hmm. um, and wrote my first novel well my like my fifth novel that I wrote, but my first published novel, Strange Adventures of Ranger Girl, which is set in Santa Cruz. And it's kind of a love song to Santa Cruz, honestly. You had just, yes. bring it, just bringing that book up just because it's, it's um, Pride Month, if you don't mind, that actually um, yeah. had a nomination, right? Oh, it was up for a few things. It was a long time ago. <laughs> it was like 2005. I think it was, was it, like it a, the, maybe not, maybe I'm looking at the wrong one, but, um, oh, the Avengers of Ranger Girl. Yeah, the Galactic Spectrum Award. That's right. It was a Galactic Spectrum. Yeah, my books are full of queer people. I mean, my life is full of queer people. It'd be weird if my books weren't. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, and what's been cool, especially we've been talking about RPG books. For me, I'm like, okay, these are, you know, they're going to stereotype a little bit, but these are being read by like teenage boys, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, when I was a teenage boy living in rural North Carolina, books were the way that I discovered the world was bigger than yes. yep. swamps and soybean fields. And there's mm -hmm. things about the South I love. The food is great. The nature is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Culturally, it was not a great fit for me living in Berkeley, California, probably a better fit for me. Yeah. Um, but it was books that opened my eyes to the other ways of living and other ways yeah. of experiencing life. So I'm like, I have 
something of, you know, I'm writing fun adventure stories, but I also have a responsibility um, to try to provide that for other people who might be reading these books. Mm -hmm. And so, um, especially for the Pathfinder Tales ones, uh, for the first one, I was talking to my editor, James Sutter, who's also a great writer. Uh, he's not editing for Paizo anymore, but I think he still works on Starfinder. We actually interviewed him a couple weeks ago. Oh, mm -hmm. I yeah. love James. Nice he's guy. Really, he's yeah. a great guy. He really yeah. And I was like, I, you know, can I stick some, can I put some gay people in this? And James was like, totally, you know, uh, this is a fantasy world. It's like uh, Terry Pratchett in Discworld. He yeah. writes about how there's no racism because you can be bigoted against dwarves. Why would you be bigoted against a person with different skin color, mm -hmm. right? When mm -hmm. you can when you can hate trolls instead, right? So it's kind of the same thing in uh, in the in the Pathfinder Tales world, right? They, he basically told me it's such a big world that's not one of the things. Like it'll be different in different cultures, different places, but yeah. in a cosmopolitan city nobody's going to care so mm -hmm. I, I had queer characters in in those um books as well and it was the same deal with twilight imperium i was like can i have some some chaos lesbians flying around in space and they were like yeah totally that's that's great and so actually one of the my favorite and also as far as i can tell from reviews and comments fan favorite relationships is these two women um who are not very nice they are pretty much one of them is a is a is a supporting protagonist in book three, but basically they're antagonists throughout the series. <laughs> they're secondary characters who pop up um, and cause trouble, but they have a relationship that's very complex and messed up and was super fun to write. And so the fact that I am able to, to do that stuff is really meaningful to me. And if they'd been like, no, absolutely not, I probably would have said, oh, well, I'm maybe not the right person to write this. Yeah. Right? You might, you might want to find somebody else to do it. Um, you mentioned you mentioned that with the one book Santa Cruz, if not in inspiration, it was a backdrop. Um, and I mean, it's it's a it's a great town. I I love Berkeley. I think the vibe in Berkeley is is wonderful and fairly unique, right? It's yeah. the it's it's so ridiculously cosmopolitan and so incredibly open and so academic that you have this unique intersection. And I'm curious, with you being there, do you ever find that is useful for vibes or ideas for writing. Oh, totally. I mean, we say that it's a, it's a city that feels like a small town, right? Like you walk around right. and you see right. people that you know all the time. Um, it's weird, uh, it's seasonal, it's almost tidal, right? Like when, the, when all the students are here, yeah. you know, it floods and then now is the time to go get brunch. Um, def definitely not, <laughs> not during the academic year. Um, and you know, the bars kind of fill up and empty out and, uh, everybody comes through here. The nice thing about, I always like living in college towns because they can feel less overwhelmingly cut. Like I wouldn't want to live in San Francisco, right? Like it's a lovely city to visit, but it's too city for me, right? Yeah. Berkeley, I'm in a little house. I'm in a, you know, I can walk to the grocery store. Not that there are neighborhoods, you can do that in San Francisco. But anyway, um, what I love about college towns is the culture comes to you, right? Like if we want to see musicians, if we want to see comedy if we want to see writers so many writers come through here right yeah the bay area yeah. book festival gets held uh in berkeley every year okay. i mean it's been okay. pandemic stuff right but yeah. they actually had it again this year and uh it was great like we went to you know they had a science fiction panel under a big tent out in the park downtown me and my wife and kid walked a mile to the yeah. park and we That's saw cool. um our friend charlie jane charlie jane anders and we saw john scalzi was there and mike chin we saw them do a panel and i mean it's great like that's just in my town, you know. I, That's really cool. It was a fifteen-minute walk, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm. I like Berkeley. Place is very important. Setting is very important in my work, and I do a lot of contemporary fantasy. Uh -huh. I do a lot of sort of magic erupting into the into the 
mundane world. And I often set stuff in the Bay Area in Oakland and in Berkeley. Yeah, I'm biased. You got me hooked. I, I, <laughs> I, I just, uh, I, I, I could be happy, very happy to live in San Francisco. Um, I could never afford to live in San Francisco, yeah. but I would adjust rapidly. <laughs> My little, little apartment. Yeah. Hey, we um, want to be very cognizant of your time. Um, you know, we could, we could talk about this with you for hours. Yeah. Um, really interesting. But we want to thank you for, for taking the time with us. Um, yeah, so much. We really appreciate it. We'd love mm-hmm. to hear more as, as books come out. We'd love to have you back at some point mm-hmm. when your mm-hmm. time permits. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause we could, we, I mean, just the idea and the process of writing and all that, we didn't even really get to touch on that. And there's so much to talk about just because of all that you're writing novels and you're writing short stories and you've written poetry. So yeah. Yeah. Um, just all the different genres and obviously you you've written on notebooks, you've written on typewriters and you've written in computers. So <laughs> true, yeah. there's a, there's an affinity with Jason and I to the different mediums. Yeah. That would be cool yeah. to talk about too. Yeah. So a few more years, we'll just low jack the next one into the cloud directly and no fingers necessary. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I try to, I try to, to be used to change. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to like, I, I, as a writer too, part of why I did self-publishing and doing, have done these experiments and tried different things is because I don't want to get so set in my ways that something that could give me a cool opportunity for self-expression or to do something in a new way. I don't want it to pass me by because I'm like, Oh, I don't know. It's weird. Um, I'm only 45. Give me a few more years and I might properly calcify and feel differently. But for now, for now, I still want to try different things. We're, we're just a, we're just a hair ahead of you and I'm starting yeah. to feel like yeah. I'm calcifying. Yeah. So I totally, totally can relate. Having, so. having kids helps one to work, to remain relevant and up to date. However, ineffectively. Yeah. I have friends who write middle grade who are like, what's, what are the teens? What's their slang now? Yeah. Like, just had this conversation last week. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I, I had to have them explain to me what cringe means. I know what cringe means and in, in in our vernacular, <laughs> but I don't know what it means in, in, or I didn't know what it meant to them, you yeah, know? That's true. Yeah. So, cause it's a noun. Is it a noun? Is it a verb? Is it an adjective? How does, what's the context? You know, How do things, you use it? You know, uh, things haven't been tubular for decades. Yeah. And, and when you ask them, is it a noun as an adjective, then they go, they know what they are, but they don't understand how that works. Well, it just dates, it dates us when we ask questions about verbiage, like how does this factor into the grammar? And they're like, no. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Jim, thanks so much for, yeah. for taking some time. It's just been a pleasure to meet and talk with you. Yeah, this was a blast. Thanks so much for having me and I'd be happy to come back. I think you alluded to it just because of his background, poetry, writing. Yeah. Um, you know, I use the term in there prolific. Um, I don't know if he was overly comfortable with that, but I think or, he found it flattering. I mean, yeah, I think he, he did. He has written a ridiculous number of novels. Yeah. And if you heard him talk, I mean, he started at a very young age Jeez. writing because because mm-hmm. that was his outlet um, mm. living where he did. He yeah. talked about it. He lived in in, you know. North Carolina, and where he had limited, limited funds mm-hmm. and limited mm-hmm. things to do. Mm-hmm. So he found a pencil and a notebook and yep. that was Man. his outlet. And look at what he has available. And I cannot think for a minute that if you are a pathfinder or, you know, forgotten realms or even twilight Imperium, the board game um, that you haven't encountered Tim's work before. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but another one of those interviews where um have to process it just because there was so much yeah. there. Yeah, Tim, thanks again. Uh, it, it really was a pleasure. Um, it, it's it's exactly what you what you said, Brad. And I think we are we are deeply grateful to Tim and and many others at this point for sharing so openly yeah. their paths and their histories and and how how you know what they were working on and how they got to where they are. Um, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It it is. And again, like Jason said, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. We know that we caught you kind of in between during a lunch period between during the day for work um, to give away the time. So yeah. So given so that much. you live in Berkeley, we don't feel that badly because we too. I I'm not. Oh oh. Remember I would, Tim? That was Jason talking. Yeah, that, in a heartbeat. Was, what a happy happy. What God? What a great tone. All yeah. right, should we wander over to the GM corner? Yeah, and and you and I, you kind of mentioned this as we were prepping to record this. So um, go first. What have what has been on your desk or on well, your mind? On my shelf. So it's funny because you were talking about this earlier in this episode, but and you know this, and and because I had sent I had sent shelf porn to yep. you and Brian to our good friend Brian. You know, between you you mentioning. Uh, Philip Dick, and now talking about shelf porn. You're trying too hard. Trying no, too no, no. Hard. I'm just saying oh, that okay. we're going to end up e-flagged on this episode. But go yes. ahead. No, good notoriety. You know, any any notoriety is good notoriety. That's a good point. Um, yeah. Is the so, term notoriety just connotate negative though? Just to just any publicity is good publicity. Is that what it is? No, not not my point. So, anyways, okay. moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, that talk, now there was a sensor kicking in. So um, I had been meaning for some time to physically adjust my bookshelf. Uh, I, uh, well, I mean, none, none of our listeners would know this. I don't think we've, I've ever mentioned this, or maybe I have early, early on in the podcast, but in my home office, my, my happy place, I have a, it's a large office space, and I have a wall of built-in bookshelves. And when we moved here, 14 years ago this month, sorry, when we moved here 15 years ago this month. Wow. Yep. Wow. Uh, amazing. Um, because daughter number two was then born in November. We moved in June. In June. So when we moved 15 years ago this month, um, uh, I had a fair number of books, but there was an awful lot of shelf space available. Well, shelf space is finally coming to a premium. And just because of how the shelves were arranged, you know, in terms of heights, uh, I, well, you know, I, I, I have two shelves, two shelf spaces dedicated to RPGs. I know compared to you, that's nothing, but on my shelf, that's what I've got. And well, I have, I have one row. Yeah. You've got a, you've got a big row though. I mean, you've got, yeah. you've got a lot of real estate dedicated and mine's yeah. slowly growing though. I don't aspire to the, to the greatness of yours, but the second shelf uh it was short and so i had some stuff and it had to be on their sides and whatnot and so uh, a week or so ago a week or two ago i finally thought okay i'm gonna sneak down here and i mean i probably could have done it smarter other uh, instead i got short soldiers and sh sore shoulders and forearms for a couple of days lifting all of this stuff but uh, i managed with with several trials and errors to 
literally inch out enough space to stand everything up on that second shelf. And so now I have this, this just what I think is this gorgeously arranged RPG section right in the center of my bookshelf where I can look at my desk like right now or look from my desk right now. And it's like, ah, oh, there's everything. And, um, and I actually, there is a plan for expansion uh, if I buy any more source books. And I say that jokingly, because if, right. When I buy more, uh, I'm going to take my box of Star Trek TNG Enterprise blueprints, and I'll move that up under oh. my files on the second shelf. And that'll clear out enough space for another three, maybe, source books. So uh, there's a plan. So that's and I my, think I, that's my I, stuff right now. Well, and I think I think it is worthwhile by you focusing in. You can you can have it a very focused shot. I think it's worth you putting that out in, in a tweet. So I um, I might I I maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that soon. Who knows? Maybe I will have already done that. Yes. Yeah. Always go back yeah. in time. Um, what uh, what have you been playing with or thinking so, about? So so interestingly enough, so I, you know this. We we redid our basement a bit. Mm -hmm. My wife moved Looks downstairs good. to work. Mm -hmm. um, I have a little music nook where I can yep. do my guitar and I've mm -hmm. actually, you know, this, I've actually kind of tinkered with the idea of doing some uh, recording. Yeah. You've got, we talked you got in a past equipment. episode. I have the launch pad that we're going to set up at some point uh -huh. so that we uh -huh. can have sound effects. Um, so every time you talk, <laughs> I can have the donkey sound that go, hey, you know, oh, I thought you're going to go. Wah, wah, wah. Well, no, I'll have the prices right one on too, but okay, good. Um, I reorganized my shelf and um on the on the bottom shelf is the one that has full height yeah. plus yep. Yep. for books. And I set up um, all my fifth edition, the few fourth edition, third edition, then the three second and the couple first edition Jeez. all in a row. Then I put my Pathfinders first yep. and second. I have a few Starfinder books and then um, my Modifius Star Trek material. Yes, yes, yes. And then right next to that, I have my modern age, fantasy age, my green Ronin stuff. Nice. And then um, uh, a bunch of other stuff. I can't read into it all. But what nice. got me yeah. when I re-disorganized my desk and yeah. I use a bank, Jason knows this, I use a banquet table as my desk because mm -hmm. I have three monitors. Yeah, and some yeah monitor you got speakers. quite the setup. I mm -hmm. moved um, Star Trek, the... Um, player's guide game master's guide i have the tricorder set i move that up here with mm. the rules digest nice. and um now i have that all just it's all within the palm of my hand and the one thing jason yeah, hasn't yeah. seen yet is we have a little rocker and i was going to put it right over here in my bookshelf area so that you can just sit there and read yeah yeah so i can nice. sit i can get away yeah. from my desk yep and sit and read Nice. And so on my desk, from a gaming perspective, is I have been going through the Rules Digest, the Modifius Rules Oh, Digest. don't. I mean, you know what I think of that book. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. You know, Jim and team, thank you. Oh phenomenal, my God. phenomenal book. So um, good. And then um, with that, I started, I mentioned, I've started reading um Beth Ball's some of the first and Beth Ball series of novels. 
Mm-hmm. And then the one that I've talked about for years, I probably brought it up before and we're going to tag him because I would love to have him on someday. Yeah. Um, I have been reading uh, Harry Turtle Dove again. Yeah. You've talked about him for years. I have. I am. Harry Turtle Dove is the king of alt history and yep. alt fantasy books. Um, and he has a series that is about if the South had won the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I read through that. They they unofficially call it the Timeline 191. There's a bunch of reasons for it, but it's the Timeline 191 series, and it goes from 1882 all the way to 1945. Okay. And so um, I have been reading through that. By chance, I had connected with him. Uh, we both play a yeah. sports strategy dice game. Yep. He had saw me post. He had sent me a message saying, if you're looking for something like this, I'm looking for this to just do a brief, just a simple trade of some materials legitimately, just, you know, and his name was Harry. And then he said his name was Harry Turtle Dove. And right after that, I think my wife thought I went catatonic. Oh, I remember getting the the call on that one. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I was flabbergasted that out of nowhere, it was needle in a haystack. So I've been long story short, I've been reading, um harry series again that's just one i've read a lot of his materials the world war series and all that if you are a fan of alt history and you haven't or if you think you might be um you know and you need a recommendation on a series message us on twitter um and as well um you know go back and along with that after your interview with aaron um I haven't gone to grab it and you mentioned that there's something you need to fix, but I would like to go reread your, your leadership article that you had posted out on star trek.com that came up real briefly before we started recording. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it for me, man. All I, right. I, I, I talked too much in this episode, but not c- quite the opposite. All right, yeah. everybody, you know what to do. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we, we know we say this a lot well, but... before you, before you do. Yeah, I am very happy to hand off the uh, outro of the episode. I did it last week because yes. you were the interviewee. So I had to do your lines. Huh. You always say at the end. Yes. So I'm going to go on mute because it'll be much. It's much. I feel like it's back to normal that you're going to do. Go. So now I'm muted. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, uh, before we do say goodbye, good night. See you later. Um, we. We are scheduled with interviews through much of the rest of the summer right now. And again, I know Brad and I say this a lot of episodes, but man, oh man, um, we just, man, are we fortunate. We love being able to bring these interviews to all of you out there. Uh, We have a lineup of some really, really interesting people um, in in a bunch of lines of work, certainly uh, for a while author heavy, because that's what's been intriguing us as we get deeper and deeper into RPG creation and thinking. Um, and then we're also we're also in the process of scheduling with a number of others. Uh, <clears throat> rest assured, uh, Brad and I have talked about this again and again, but uh, before long, we're looking at a brief series of episodes dedicated to uh, mental health through RPGs. Uh, that's, I'll be honest, it's a little delayed from where we thought it might be. We've had some reschedules and Brad and I've just been so busy lately that uh, just schedule wise that we haven't been able to put together, but, but coming soon to a Dyson Mind podcast near you, we will be doubling down on 
approximately three episodes as as our first kind of series, if you will, where we really want to explore the intersection of role-playing games and mental health. There's a lot there to be said and done. And we know, we know from reading it online that a lot of you know and know better. So stay tuned and very truly be well. We will see you next week. Thank you.